peace be to you. In the Cabo Let us begin with a question. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Curiously Catholic. How are you all? We're going live on a Saturday morning for you all. Um, we do have the podcast also that will be going on the audio. We've, um, For those of you listening to the audio podcast, uh, we're a bit behind because uh, we've We've been playing catch up for the last few weeks and we finally caught up. So uh, this will be going on to the audio podcast next Friday, uh, so stay tuned for that. And for those of you watching on Facebook, welcome. This is Curiously Catholic, an Evangelion production. And in this podcast, we're going to be picking the brains of Catholic enthusiasts to try and get to the bottom of how to be a Catholic in contemporary times. My name is Dominic Malgeri, and in this episode, we have Deacon Harold. How are you, Deacon Harold? I'm doing well. Thank you for uh, for having me on here, and I'm so excited and thrilled uh, to be part of the Evangelion um, apostolate, you know, uh, mission. You guys are doing some fantastic work, and um, just I'm really honored to be here uh, with you guys today. Oh, thank you very much. It's uh, very much a uh, work of God because we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> just, <laughs> just taking a step forward every every time that we see an opportunity. Um, but uh, for those of you that were paying attention uh, late last year, you might recognize uh, Deacon Harold from our conference, which is the In His Name conference. And you can still find those talks on Perusia On Demand. But for those of you that are more clued in, you'll know um, Deacon Harold from various YouTube videos. He's linked in with like the Perusia and various other ministries. He's quite a, um, a dynamic speaker. So I've asked him to please not shout at me too much this uh, during this presentation and <laughs> <laughs> um, but so uh, Deacon whilst we get into it can you uh, tell us a bit about yourself uh, where are you from and uh, are you a cradle Catholic or you a convert how did you get to where you are today yeah sure so so I was born in Barbados in the West Indies in the Caribbean it's an island um, in the southern part of the Caribbean uh, in a chain of islands called the Lesser Antilles which is right near Trinidad and Tobago and not too far off the coast of Venezuela, uh, actually. So uh, I was born there and um, my mom is the first Catholic in our family. She was Methodist and converted to the Catholic Church as a teenager. And so uh, my father was not a person of faith at all. So I am the oldest child of, uh, of their union. So I'm actually the first baptized Catholic in my family, because as a convert, my mom didn't have to be rebaptized, just received wow. confirmation of First Communion. And so uh, we immigrated to the United States when I was almost three. And, um, you know, my mom, very devout Catholic, took us to church uh, every week, me and my, my brothers and my sister. And um, I remember when we sat in church, I used to sit on the aisle, you know, on, on, the, on the pew right by the aisle. And then my mom would stand next to me. And then my brothers and my sister were on the other side of my mother. And she mm -hmm. split us up like that because my mom noticed that when I went to church, I was like laser focused on what was going on at the altar. And meanwhile, you know, typical kids, my brothers and my sister were throwing Cheerios at each other and stuff like mm -hmm. that, you know, and, you know, being kids in church. But for me, I, I mean, I remember at that age, about nine or 10, thinking there's something really cool going on up there. I'm not exactly sure what it is, mm. but, you know, I, I, I wanted to be part of it. And so um, when I got old enough to serve mass, oh, man, I loved serving mass. I loved being on the altar. Even now as a deacon, I've been ordained almost 19 years. 
I still get excited every time I, I get to serve at mass. You know, mm. it's just, it's, I've always had that sense of awe, you know, at the mass. But now that obviously I understand it much more deeply now, it's even mm. greater. But even as a kid, I noticed something special. And I remember one time in particular, I was serving mass and it was my turn to ring the bells and father is about to elevate the host. And I remember thinking to myself, I can totally see myself doing what father is doing right now. Mm. First time I ever thought about possibly becoming a priest, having a vocation, religious vocation. And so I ended up going to a Benedictine high school um, run by monks, Benedictine monks in Newark, New Jersey. And um, I did the come and see program all four years that for young men who might be interested in monastic life. I went off to uni. I came, I, I worked for a year after I graduated and then joined the monastery and thought, this is it. I'm doing what God has called me to do. I mean, that, that feeling that I had right since I was a little kid, it's now being fulfilled in monastic life and the story. Well, you know, God writes uh, straight with crooked lines. <laughs> So uh, my parents uh, divorced, um, you know, uh, while uh, while I was in college. And um, when my mom got sick and almost died, um, as the oldest, I've always helped her kind of take care of the family. So I left the monastery temporarily to take care of my mom and my sister. And um, when I was out of the monastery, I went to a wedding and ended up meeting the, the woman there who would, who would end up being my wife. So didn't go back to the monastery, <laughs> but uh, so I, ended, I got married. But that, you know, that feeling still was there that God was calling me to something. And so um, after marriage, you know, I discovered the diaconate and I mm. thought, OK, now this is what God, you know, he put it all together now. But even then, you know, uh, after several years of being ordained, I still felt God was calling me to do something else. Now, I was in a, I had a law enforcement career. And I, and I ended up leaving my career in 2012, and which is right away the first year I met Charbel in Perusia was, two, was 2012, which was the year of faith. So I stepped out in faith, left my 23-year career behind, and went to full-time evangelization and uh, speaking and writing. And uh, best decision I could have, I could have ever made. Uh, God has been so amazing um uh, on how he's used me for 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 his glory um and having and helping to spread the 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 life-changing news of the encounter with jesus christ mm, man that's a pretty full-on story eh? so how did you navigate that so you obviously like it seemed like a pretty straight straightforward line you're like in love with the eucharist love with, in love with serving monastic life boom you're in and then you leave to look after, how did you uh, navigate that? Oh, wow, there's this woman that I really like, but I'm kind yeah, of... Yeah, so it's interesting. At first, I didn't want the relationship. Mm. You know, um, she kind of pursued me, you know, truth be told. Uh, you know, and because I said, I'm going back to the monastery, you know. And, um, you know, I, and it was time for me to go back. And I did go back, but my mom was not fully convalesced. And it was one of those things where you can, they... I couldn't fully embrace monastic life as long, as long as my mother was still sick. And so I actually stayed out a little bit longer. And it was during that time that I went on a date and then a second date. And, and that's when things kind of, kind of kicked in. But, but, but as I look back on it now, I realize a couple of things. First of all, I asked myself, why did God give me this desire ever since I was a kid? And, you know, then high school, 
you know, doing the, 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 the vocation discernment program and then joining the monastery just to have me leave and get married. Mm. What, what sense does that make? You know, but but see, God was preparing me. He was preparing me. So what God was doing was like, OK, you don't know this right now, but 30 years from now, you're going to serve me as a deacon in the church. And you don't know this right now, but you're going to leave your career and you're going to travel around the world. You're going to write books. You're going to speak and you're going to glorify my name. But before that happens, you need this foundation that I'm laying in your life right now. You need mm. to be steeped in mm. prayer. You need to love silence. You need to love to pray the office. You need to love adoration. You need to understand the mass and the Eucharist, how it connects to your everyday life. And mm. that is the foundation that was laid for me in the monastery. And I draw from that foundation all the time. There's no question that I, I, could, not be, uh, I could not be doing the things that I'm doing now had it not been for mm. my time and experience in monastic life. So that mm. was a foundation, you know, a, a building block that God used on his journey of faith for me. Yeah, that's a really cool story. I mean, I, got, I can kind of relate because when I converted to Catholicism when I was 22, I had an opportunity to go and do a mission year in London. And that was just that was like almost a, almost a, a religious life. We had a morning and evening prayer every day and stuff like that. And that's where I learned what the Eucharist was and fell in love with it and learned like Taze prayer and the prayer of the church. And yeah, that's been the foundation of my life ever since. Um, um, but I suppose a question comes to mind is, so how are you or are you still able to live out that sort of elastic life in a married relationship and with kids? How many kids do you have? Uh, four. Yeah, oh, wow. so they're, they're, they're uh, adults now. So my okay. oldest daughter is 23, <coughs> and then we have a 21-year-old daughter, and then twins, a boy and a girl who are 18 years old. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, in a sense, I, I live out the monastic life. Um, you know, there are things about the life that I do miss, but at the same time, I try to recreate it. So, for example, I get up early. I'm, used, I'm the first one up. I usually get up at 5 a.m. You know, if I sleep in, 6 a.m., you know, and I come and I pray the office because it's quiet. Everyone's mm. asleep. You know, no disturbances. You know, no email. I, that gives me that, that time for silence to immerse myself in the office to really focus on the Psalms and the readings. Because I, I pray the full office, the full on office every day. So I do matins, lauds, then one of the midday offices, terse sector known, then vespers, and then Compline at night before going to bed. So I do the full office. And so in the morning, that gives me that time to, to, to focus in immediately uh, upon that, that intimate relationship with God in prayer. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'll do my devotions and then I'll exercise. Uh, I've been usually, uh, I've been trying to do 10,000 10, steps a day. You know, so mm -hmm. I usually go and there's a, a three or four mile, or was that a kilometer? It's about uh, 10, uh, 10K, 8K, 10K loop that I do every morning. And then I come back and shower and then I, I kind of jump into my day. And I make sure I intersperse that day with prayer. So I'll take a break and, and pray the rosary. Then I'll mm -hmm. take another break in the afternoon and pray the chaplet. You know, mm -hmm. so that interspersed throughout the day are these very deliberate um, moments of connection mm. with God. You know, very deliberate moments of prayer. And then, of course, in the evening, I do evening prayer and then compliment before mm. bed. It's just a wonderful way to kind of still keep that 
mm. uh, monastic element. The, the hardest part of it is the silence. <laughs> Obviously right, with a house yeah. with kids and a dog mm. and, and life, you know, mm. it's hard to find that silence, which is why I think the morning time is such an important time for me to, to really embrace mm. that silence where you speak heart to heart with God. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I was going to ask you, it's like I'm, I've currently got a two-year-old and a four-month-old, so I've been waking up at four o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. because of them. Anyway, um, but I yeah, I'm a morning person. <laughs> yeah. So like how you, know, you mentioned the chaos of family life and like I feel like often we can get the, that set up of like, oh, yeah, um, I'll just do this, this, this schedule of prayer. And that's in my mind. Then all of a sudden, you know, your children could get involved and OK, I, I can't read the. I can't read the prayers now or I can't do the rosary now or, you know, Jemima's broken my rosary again. I have to find a new one and well, my wife needs me and, you know, the house needs cleaning and, oh, no, there's puke everywhere. You know, so how do you manage to manage that and keep up this kind of monastic life? Well, see, you have to find God in the distractions, <clears throat> you know. Mm. So so um, there's pockets of time that I, that I just simply call um, gap time. Gap, G-A-P, gaps in your day, gaps in your schedule, and fill those moments with prayer. So, for example, you know, I may have a scheduled time. In the monastery, it's called the horarium. That's the schedule for the day. It's the same uh-huh. every day. It, it changes slightly on the weekend because of Sunday Mass. And if there's like Christmas or a solemnity or a special day, the schedule changes a bit. But for the most part, it's the same schedule every day. But you know, you know, as, as a father of young children, the schedule is not the same every day. You, can't, you you plan something and all of a sudden it gets messed up. But it's in those gaps. So, for example, if I'm driving someplace, I'm spending 20 minutes in the car. Mm-hmm. What am I doing for those 20 minutes? What mm. am I listening to? Am I listening to talk radio? Am I listening to politics? Am I listening to sports? Or can I use that 20 minutes to listen to Evangelion? You know, one of your one of your, your programs, your podcasts. You Curiously, uh, crazy Catholic. Catholic podcast. What am I listening to to help for those twenty minutes or twenty five minutes to grow my faith, to to deepen my relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, mm-hmm. it's like when you're ironing, when you're cleaning up puke. You know, just say a little prayer to yourself. Like for example, when I get up every morning, Lord, thank you for allowing me to see the light of another day, so that mm-hmm. I may give honor, praise, and glory to your most holy name. Mm. Bam. You see, so 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 finding time in the gaps, in in the midst of the busyness, you know, to, to use those just even just short periods of time to fill that time with, mm. with with prayer, to allow yourself to enter into the the Holy Spirit, even if you just memorize a few lines of scripture. Yeah. So for example, um, on my way to confession, Psalm fifty one, oh, have yeah. mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your compassion, blot out my offense. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. My offenses, truly I know them, and so on and so forth, right? Because mm. that's the that David wrote that psalm after his transgression with Bathsheba. You see? Mm. So he's asking God for mercy and forgiveness. And that's what we're asking God for as I'm preparing to, uh, driving to the sacrament of reconciliation. So see, so so there it is possible. To mm. you just have to get creative on how you fill those yeah. gaps in your day with the Lord. That's really cool. Yeah, I started um, praying a rosary on my commute to uh, university, or just anywhere anywhere I was walking. I'd, I'd pray a rosary, and you know, I just found it, it was now taking me de- decades to get anywhere. Um, so, 
yeah, putting those little prayers in your in your in your life, so then you can like sanctify um, those little moments. That's really cool. Uh, I think it, it, one thing with the second child, I've learned to get a bit more creative with um, with uh, adding those little moments in every so often. It's just uh, before I'm about to lose my rag, it's okay. Just do an Our Father first and see how we go after that. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, there is a real beauty you know, in it as well. One thing, one thing I would say for you too, um, especially when you have kids that young, is definitely find time to spend with your wife. You know, because mm. what could happen, especially when your kids are this young, you, you get so caught up in the busyness, the everydayness of mm. life that you that you stop growing together as a couple, that you stop praying together as a couple, that you start taking each other for granted, that you, the little things, you know, um, you, you just, you just kind of throw those by the wayside because it's all about the kids now, but mm. you got to remember, you got to remember, and this is good for any, any young couple that's listening right now, right? You're not in covenant relationship with your kids. You didn't, you didn't stand at the altar and make a lifelong vow before God with your kids, you did it with your wife. So your relationship with your, now hear me, hear what I'm saying clearly. Your relationship with your wife and her relationship with you is more important than your relationship with your kids. Mm. Now, let me, I, I'm not saying you don't love your kids. I'm not saying you would die, you wouldn't die for your kids. I'm not saying, I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm saying is that you're not in covenant relationship with your kids. Your kids are a, a, a very beautiful extension and, mm. and a living product of your love that you that you uh, that you consummated and you made that covenant before God. So get a babysitter, man. Get get mm. your, your mom or her mom or somebody to come over, watch the kids. You guys go out and spend an evening together. Mm. You know, and, and you, it's so important. Even if it's just once a month, it's so important that that you do that. Um, and, yeah. and don't allow the busyness to overtake the the covenant and to try to weaken that covenant that you two have mm. established with the lord yeah i've often i haven't fully articulated this in my head but i've often thought about you know because marriage is a sacrament like time that i spend with my wife is kind of a prayer in just in that i'm living out that sacrament just in the same sense as like spending time in front of the blessed sacrament spending time yes. in confession spending time with your wife it's the same it's well, it's, I don't know if it's the same, but it's very, very similar, like in my thinking, anyway. Um, but yeah, and I think that's another thing. Well, we can bring this bring this into the, the topic that we want to talk about today because there is a very um, distinct and beautiful role of the male and the female in all aspects of our life. Uh, I'm in a house with three women. I'm very much becoming familiar with the female uh, genius at the moment. Um, but at the same time, uh, realizing that that's making me have to become more masculine in a sense to kind of even it out. Um, but I guess, what is that? What is that difference? What is it to be female? What is it to uh, to be male? Because um, that's yeah. how God created us. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, let's let's just go to the word of God. You know, in Genesis 1 26, um, you know, we, we see, uh, first of all, in the creation narrative in Genesis 1, from verses 1 to 26, that God creates everything. And if you and if you look at um the order of creation, it's a top-down approach. So um 
uh, you know, imagine the the Israelite cosmology, right? They're looking up and they and they what well, they 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 call it the three heavens. There's the place where God lives and where God dwells. There's the stars and the moon and, and that, and then there's the sky, um, uh, which holds back the rain and 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 all of that. So the, the, as they're looking at creation, they got this top down approach. So they start with the heavens, the, the heaven where God is, and works his way down to the creatures. And then finally, though, it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, the word man there is Adam in Hebrew, but it doesn't mean male. There are two mm -hmm. other words for male and female being distinguished, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute or so. But the, 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 Adam has a sense of humanity in its fullness, the fullness of humanity. Um, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, so everything that God creates up until this point, he says, you know, be fruit. No, he tells the animals, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He says the same thing to to our first parents as well. But but what's different here in the creation of human beings that they're made in his image and likeness. So it's important that we understand what God is saying here. Okay, so first of all, the word image is a masculine noun in Hebrew, salem, salem. And salem literally means a shadow. That's the outline or representation of the original. So if I'm standing in the light, I'm casting a shadow. Now, the shadow is not me, right? The shadow is the image. It's the outline, right? It's the representation of me. But yet if I move, the shadow follows my movements, right? It reflects my movement, so to speak. So what does that mean spiritually? We're we're not God, okay? But in Second Peter, chapter one, verse four, uh, Peter says we are partakers in the divine nature. In First Corinthians, chapter six, verse nineteen, Saint Paul says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have within us from God. So we're not God, but yet we we have God's shadow, God's outline imprinted onto our souls. So what does that mean spiritually? Just like the shadow reflects my movement, we're supposed to reflect God in our lives, right? So, so the, the thinking was before the fall, when, when, when we think we're reflecting the thoughts of God, when we speak, we're reflecting the words of God. And when we love, we're reflecting the love of God. See, so we're not God, but because we're made in his image, we're reflecting God's life in us. See? Mm. And, and, and the word likeness is a feminine. Now, that's important. One word's masculine, one word's feminine. And we'll see how important that is in a second here. But the word demuth, likeness, feminine, means similar. So what does that mean spiritually? So if, um, uh, uh, say there was a statue of me next to me, and on the other side of me is my son. You would say they are both in my likeness because they both look like me. In fact, the statue looks more like me than my son. But what does my son have? What does he have? What does he possess that the statue doesn't have? An, an essence, a nature, a being, right? Life, right? So, so even though the statue looks more like me, my son is much more in my likeness. You see, in that spiritual yeah. sense. And so, and so now look at the reality here. 
So God created man, again, Adam, the fullness in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Ish and Isha in Hebrew. Ish and Isha, male and female. So out of Adam, the fullness, comes Ish and Isha. And look at this. The word image and likeness are male and female. <laughs> and they reflect what God creates out of that image and likeness, male and female. So even the words themselves reflect the reality of God's purpose in creating us. Now, what, what does that mean? Does that mean is there masculine and feminine in God? No, there is no, God has no gender. God is God. But mm. he's saying something I think deeply important about his life and how he participated in it. So here's the way I would say, it because you, you can't, so here's a distinction. Here's a distinction. Because you can only talk about God by analogy. Right? If I was able to explain God, I'd be God. You know, mm -hmm. that, that doesn't work. So we, we can only explain by analogy. So think, of, so think of it like this. When the church talks about the inner life of God, it uses fancy words like divine perichoresis or circumcision. All that means is God's inner life, the life of God within himself. So in John chapter 10, for example, when Jesus says the father and I are one, or he says to Philip, he says, Philip, if you have, remember, Philip says, show me the Father, we'll be satisfied. And see, Jesus says, have I been with you? They don't recognize that when you see me, you see the Father. You see? So what is that? Jesus is talking about, not that he is the Father, but they share that one divine nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the, the, the Father and the Son love each other perfectly, intimately. And the love between them is so powerful, it creates a third which is the, the, the Holy Spirit, who reflects love and life back to the Father and that Son. So that beautiful interrelationship is that inner life of God. Now, when God created a woman, I think God pulled from that inner life. He pulled from his heart, right? He, because women reflect that, that deep inner beauty in the very nature of how God created it. Just think about this. Women have a special intimacy with the Holy Spirit by the very nature of how God created them. They have a special intimacy with the Holy Spirit that we men will never fully understand or appreciate ever. Why? Because by the very nature of how God created a woman, she can participate in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit in a way that we can't. So even if she never has a child, she becomes a nun. By the very nature, she, 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 she can by the way God created her, participate in that life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. And so every single woman by nature is a life giver and a life bearer, right? And that, I'm reminded it's every Sunday. We pray, to, we pray the creed, credo espiritu sanctus dominum et vivificantem. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, life. See, now the man, for his part, he his and we, you see this more clearly in Genesis chapter two, when God put him in the garden, it says to till and to keep it. Those words are abad and shamar in Hebrew. They literally mean to serve, protect, and defend. So God manifests himself in that inner life, but he also manifests himself in an outer life. It's in, in um, the church in the Greek is called the oikonomia or the working. How does God manifest himself in the world? You see, and he manifests himself through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's a man's job is to serve, protect, and defend that beautiful heart, that beautiful inner life of God.
You see? So, so you have the woman, which is the heart. And you have the man, which surrounds and protects and serves and defends that heart. That means that he serves like Christ. What is Christ? Because head, he's the head of the family, the man, because headship and leadership and authority is rooted in service. Jesus gives us the model. I have not come to be served, but to serve. You see? That's how he shows leadership is through service. And that's our job. Our job is to serve, protect, defend the family, defend the heart of love, either as, a, as, as fathers like us, like we are, or priests who are fathers of mm -hmm. parish families, or even single men who reflect the very fatherhood of God in the way they represent manhood to the culture. Right. That's mm. I think that's the distinction and the difference. And, and they both complement each other because you see here in Genesis, it says um, male and female, he created them. So there's, there's an equality there where he creates both of them um, out, out of uh, out of just pure love out a pure overflow of his love. He creates us. And what's the very first thing th that God does? He blesses them and God bless them. First, verse 28. So God is establishing a covenant between the two of them. You see, so he he creates them and then he establishes a covenant. And that covenant is the beautiful exchange of love and life and intimacy and communion that reflects the very life of God within himself. So just as the two, father and the son, generate love of the Holy Spirit, the family, father and mother, there's love is so intense it generates a third that's called a child. <laughs> see, again, it's only by analogy because it's not obviously the Holy Spirit is not the child of, you know, mm. but. The idea of the love of the two is so intense, it creates a third, it creates a family, and the Holy Spirit, God exists as a family, as a communion of persons. So the family on earth is the reflection, the image and likeness of the family of God in heaven. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I've always heard that analogy. Uh, and then, I, uh, but again, we have to bear in mind that the strength of an analogy isn't great. Um I was listening to something the other day and was talking about that analogy and it's like, oh, so there's, there's three and it's Trinitarian. It's like, yeah, but I've got two kids, so am I four? You know, <laughs> it's like, and you've got four kids. See, and no, no, see, yeah, right. And that's where the analogy breaks down because <clears throat> mm. the idea of generating a third is children, right? It's mm. not one child. It's the idea of children. But again, mm. it's not perfect. Why? Because um, even in marriage, uh, marriage is a foreshadowing, is a foretaste of our, our ultimate union. Because your your wife, as beautiful as she is, cannot satisfy the deepest longing and desires of your heart. She can't. There's no way. That space can only be filled by God. And that's something we have to realize, that our spouse, that if you're a priest, the church, the, or if, you know, if you're a, a parishioner in a church, the priest cannot fulfill the longest desire of your heart. Your spouse cannot fulfill the longest, mm. the long, deepest, longest desires of your heart. That's a space that only God can fill. And all of our relationships anticipate mm. Revelation 19, verse 9. Blessed are those who are called to the wedding feast or the wedding supper of the Lamb. Mm. Right? Where Christ, the eternal bridegroom, is giving life to his bride, uh, the church forever in heaven. Marriage, earthly marriage, and priesthood and religious life anticipates that relationship. You mm. see? Because that relationship will only be fulfilled when we die and we're with Jesus. Mm. Yeah, I feel like the, the Catholic Church is always pointing to something deeper that we always get distracted by the um, the, the material of. 
and we see it um, as you're talking about like the in, in men and women, but like there's also that thing that you're pointing at, it's like the unsatisfactory nature of of nature of, of like matter of what we've got. There's uh, that that deep longing that we like it's it's you know across all creation across all humans they have that we all know it but we can't articulate it maybe as well well you know and and that's and what helps us to do that is fasting you know quite that and that's the power of fasting because often i mean a lot of people pray right mm -hmm. which is which is very good we should be praying every day but but sometimes what enhances that prayer what what strengthens the deepest of prayer is fasting because remember when jesus sent the 72 out they came back and they were saying man we could do all kinds of great stuff jesus but there was these demons we couldn't cast out we don't know what happened and jesus said oh yeah those kind they can only be cast out by prayer and fasting, fasting. see see because mm. fasting whether it be from food or even something that you love or enjoy you know um like for example if um uh, you have like an Australian rules football there, or, or Aussie or, or football. Uh, not in like New Zealand, a, but there is there is Australian football. What's your yeah. what's your big sport there? Rugby. Rug okay, rugby. So you might so so instead of fasting from food, you may say to yourself, you know what, I have season tickets to the rugby matches. I'm not I'm going to skip this season as a fast to unite with my prayer for this particular intention. For example, for your kids to come back to the church, if your kids are away from the church. Mm. You've been praying, 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 and nothing's happening. I think you need to add some fasting. <laughs> and not mm. just fasting from food, but fasting even from something that you enjoy. So you may sacrifice those rugby matches so that you can unite that with your prayer. You see? Mm. So, so I think fasting empties us because it reminds us what we're really hungering for, what mm. we're really thirsting for, what we're really desiring is a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because mm. um, is, 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 that prayer and fasting points us toward our ultimate end, which is the beatific vision, right? Life with God forever in heaven. And mm. that's why prayer and fasting is such a powerful combination. Mm. Yeah, I've just completed um, a program called Exodus ninety. I don't know if you've heard oh, of it. Oh, I met the priest just recently who who created that. Oh yeah, nice one. Yep, you'll have Absolutely. to get me in contact with yep. him. I can have a word with him. Anyway, um, yeah, and like yeah, it definitely has that element of you know that uh, fasting and asceticism. And one thing I did notice in myself is even the things that I didn't even realize that I liked, like you know, warm showers or. Um, <laughs> you know scrolling on my phone or whatever it was it's like when i finished it i didn't even want to do those things anymore i didn't like yeah. i tried getting into a, a warm shower and i was like nah i don't want to i don't want a warm shower <laughs> it was it was too warm and it wasn't even it was tepid um but yeah i think you know it takes a, so fasting can take you like at least one step removed from that you know kind of grasping at trying to uh, find a pleasure in an in an, in a finite good, um, but bringing it back to yeah, is is an emptying of yourself so that God can fill you, right? Mm. That's the thing. It's it's emptying yourself so God can fill you, and that's why you know um nothing in this world, nothing, will ever satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. You can have as much money, you can mm. have as much pleasure, you can have as much whatever it is, it's mm. never enough. It's yeah. never 
enough. It can never satisfy. Because that's the, the culture's answer, right? More. Mm. more. I, I'm unhappy. I'm unsatisfied. <clears throat> you need more. You need more. You need more. No, you need less. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you need to focus your life on, on that which really matters and ultimately the end because you can't take it with you. What, what's the saying we hear we have in the States? You, you, you never see a, a, a U-Haul following a Hertz. A U-Haul is like a moving truck. We put all your stuff in when you're moving. You never oh, yeah. see that following a hearse. Why? Because you can't uh, take it with you. Right, you know. Yeah. In fact, Psalm, I think it's Psalm 41 that talks about that. It talks about the it talks about riches and wealth and you know um you know th this this person who was the land lands were called by their names and they were very popular and very but they're going to go down in the ground with their fathers and never see the light anymore in his riches man lacks wisdom he is like mm. the beasts that are destroyed like whoo oh man that brings it home right there that really draws mm. it home yeah yeah, it's, it's, again, there's just so much depth to um, our, just our lives. Um, I think we can segment things and put them in, compartmentalize them. But there's, a, yeah, the, just even in the smallest things, I learned that through looking at like Theology of Body and listening to Christopher West. And I think, you know, there is a depth in, uh, you know, maleness and femaleness. And I suppose nowadays it's kind of, it's hard to talk about. Uh, I've got lots of friends that are um, like not Christian, and when he starts suggesting um, women have a certain role or men have a certain role, they start getting you know the fist fist up ready to fight. It's like no, I can do whatever you can do, you know, kind of thing. And no, 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 no. Look, let's 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 talk about that. Look, <coughs> here here's the thing. Here's the thing. Back in the scripture, it says, um, you know, uh, it says male and female. He created them. So the sense here in this version is that they were created at the same time okay so there there's they're they're equal but not the same see that's a very important mm. distinction that we have to make men and women are equal in dignity before god no question of one is not better than the other uh in fact i can make an argument i'll make an argument here in a few minutes <laughs> that 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 you know women might be a little bit higher you know mm. but I'll, I'll explain that in a second but they're equal in dignity before God, but equal, but not the same. Okay. Equal, but not the same. The problem is we live in a culture where they say equality and sameness are the same thing. So for, so for example, um, if I ask you what weighs more, what has more weight, 10 kilos of diamonds or 10 kilos of uh, ostrich feathers? Uh, how big are the ostrich feathers? No, <laughs> no, they're both the ten. They're ten kilos. Ten kilos. Ten kilos so of diamonds. Ten kilos of which one's more? They, they both weigh ten kilos. Right. So are they? Are they this? Would you say they're the same? No. Because one's diamonds. This yeah. See, and that see that's that's the point that a lot of people miss, is that they'll say, "Oh no, they're the same." No, 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 no. 10 kilos of, of each are equal in weight, but they're not the same thing. Imagine you propose it to your wife and instead of giving her a diamond ring, you give her a, a ring, uh, the, 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 the mount with an ostrich feather instead of a ring, instead of a diamond. What's she going to say? What are you nuts? <laughs> Where's my diamond? Right? And you say, well, wait a minute. They're the same thing. No, they're not the same thing. 
they're the equal the in weight, but they're not the same. See, that's the problem. The, 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 the culture tries to equate equalness with sameness. See, and it's not, it's just, it's just a lie. It's not true, but that doesn't mean that each of them don't have their own distinctive gifts that they bring to each other. See, there's a fundamental and intrinsic unity within the complementarity of, of the being of male and female. They're built to complement each other. And it's in that complementarity. In fact, it's precisely in their differences that they're able to have union, which is the image of the Trinity. Because they're Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're able to have union. And because they're male and female, they're able to have union. You mm. see? But 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 we live in a culture that says, no, 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 everybody has to be the same. But that but that's just not true. I, for example, in the US, we we golf is a big sport here. Okay, golf. So when um let me see, we try to put this in in, in uh, meters. So if there's something called a par five. So you have five different shots, five different attempts to get the ball into the hole. And usually those, what they call par five are very long distances. Okay. Okay. So say like, um, uh, what eight, let's say 800 meters. Okay. To, so you have five chances to get the ball into 800 meters. But when you see that same par five for a woman, it's only 680 meters. Now, why is that? Because they can't hit as far as the men. Mm. It has nothing to do with whether they're better or not. They they physically cannot hit as far. In Mm. in, in our basketball, the men use a a regulation side basketball. The women use a basketball that's slightly smaller than the men's ball. Why? Because their hands aren't as big. It has nothing to do with whether they're... See? So, mm. so we make those distinctions all the time. But what's happening is instead of being made in the image and likeness of God, this culture is trying to make God in its own image and likeness. That's the problem. You see, that's the problem. And, and so what they're doing is they're saying that men can be girls and girls. Can, no, no, they cannot. Absolutely cannot. You, so you, so you have to change and alter reality in order for that and and it's never true it's ne- mm. it can that can never ever ever be true because you have to change reality we even got to a point now for example here in my state in the united states in oregon if if you decide at you know 16 oh you know what i was born my birth certificate says i was a boy because when i came out i had a i had a penis and it said you know it's a boy but now you know what i believe i'm a girl you can go back and change your birth certificate. <clears throat> Not based on reality, but because you believe in your mind that you are a girl, you can go back and change. That makes absolutely no sense. See, people, now, again, we love all of our brothers and sisters. We love everyone. We love everyone with the love of Christ. But the principle is we love everyone, but we always don't love their actions. And we judge actions. We never judge people. No, why is someone confused that they that they're 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 a a girl that thinks they're a guy? Who there could be something that that happened in their life. There could be some biological thing going on. Who knows what it is? But what they need is our 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 love and our understanding, but not changing reality. You Hmm. know, Um, but but that's exactly what what they want. What they need is help. You know, they need to see a therapist. They need to see something and, and try and figure out what's going on there. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these kids grow. I mean, w- when you're when your kids get a little older, they're going to start imagining, right? They're going to 
I'm this character. I'm mm. I'm a Bugs Bunny or I'm whatever, you know, characters they have there in New Zealand, cartoon characters. And that's fine because they're little kids, their imaginations are growing. But, you know, you, you're not going to say, oh, do you really want to become that cartoon character? We can have surgery and change mm -hmm. your and, and try to change your body so you can actually be that car. That's that's you would never do that. But that's mm. exactly what we're doing in our in our culture today. Mm, mm. Yeah, because I suppose uh, when you talk about reality uh, from a, a perspective of faith and definitely in the Catholic Church, our idea of reality, again, has that that, that deeper um resonance in that there's more to life than just what we see whereas i suppose if you take god out of the picture what you can see and what you can do with it that's all reality that's all reality is it's like oh there's a tree there and i can chop it down that's reality but like we don't think about like the essence of the tree what is what is it to be a tree and therefore yeah. we replace relate that to being humans like, i can make a chair of that tree and if i look at myself and i'm just material as well therefore i can make myself into whatever i want to make myself um, exactly so yeah we it's, have... it's, it's it's like it's like we, we we gotta remember that things point us to our ultimate end right which is relationship with god if you like you said if you said so, so well if you take god out of the picture then things become ends in themselves see there's nothing mm. beyond this there's no reality beyond this and that's one of the big problems with atheism because at the end, atheism is completely unsatisfying. Because mm. at the end, there is no you. Your life has no meaning. Because at the end, that, that's it. It's like your entire life multiplied by zero. That's atheism. <laughs> you know, there's right, no yeah, purpose. Yeah. There's no meaning to, mm. to anything. You know, that, that makes absolutely no sense. But, but, but that's what's happening with this, this transgenderism that's, that's mm. happening in our culture now. Um, it's a psychological disorder. It's it's called gender uh, dis, uh, gender dysphoria, and it's a it's a it's in the all the the the, the diet the um, diagnostic and statistical manuals that psychologists use to make diagnoses, and it's in there, and and our brothers and sisters who who are afflicted with this need help. They need our love, they need our compassion and understanding, but they also need help. Mm. Um, and and we should do everything we can to encourage them to get the help that they need. Mm. Um, uh, so, so that they can, um, become fully the person who God created them to be. So if you take God out of the picture, you can become whatever you want. Mm. It doesn't matter what God, cause there is no God. It doesn't matter what God says. All that matters is what I say. Cause guess what? I'm God. And mm. what, does that sound familiar? I'm God. Mm. Remember the temptation in the garden? You go ahead and eat that fruit of the tree. Cause when you do, you will be like God. Ah, see, it comes back full circle now. Mm, see, it comes mm. back. That same lie of Satan to our first parents is the same lie being perpetrated by Satan in the culture today. Mm. So how do we articulate the, like, the truth and the essence of man and woman to a world that um, not only doesn't know it, but, like, would rather it not exist how do we articulate because uh, i mean i often find myself talking to people and saying um and we describe like what men do and what women can do and they say i don't think that's true because i think men can beat women at this and women can beat women, uh, men at that and it just becomes a more of a lessening of masculinity and over praising of femininity or a 
or just completely getting rid of the two terms altogether. So how do we re-inject society with this truth? Yeah, so I think that has to be done at several different levels, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, um, first of all, you have to living the reality, you know? So, um, so we as people, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to live that reality out and show people by our marriages, in our relationships, um, where we don't, participate for example in pornography or, or 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 different things that separate us from from god's love and god's life the, the more we can witness an example in our lived experience the reality um i think that people um uh will begin to see the the real purpose and meaning but but the problem is you have so many catholics who are thinking just like the culture you know uh, saint paul says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so we know what is God's will. So that takes strong preaching. It takes solid catechesis. It takes um, not people wavering, especially the, our, the leaders in the church, the bishops, not wavering on this. They need to say, no, this is the reality. This is what it is. And here's why. You know, again, the principles, we love everyone. We love them with the love of Christ. But see, people, people, the, the other lie is I, I am my feelings. You see, I, I, my feelings identify who I am. My emotions identify who I am. And so if you don't let me be who I want to be, you're not allowing me to be my full, my fullest and truest self. No, that's not real. That's not real. Cause look what's missing from that picture. God, <laughs> you see, and, uh, cause God it's your relationship with God that defines who you are, not your emotions, not your feelings, not even your mind. It's your relationship with God. That mm. defines who you are. It, it's God who helps you become the fullest person, the person he created you and calls you to be. It's a relation with God that defines that, not you and not your feelings and not your emotions. Um, you know, uh, for example, I'm a, I'm a man, so I'm attracted to women, right? So does that mean because I have these feelings, I can go out and, and, and have relations mm. with many women as I want? No. But in the but in the cultural reality, well, if you have those feelings, and if the other person doesn't mind, you're not hurting anybody. What mm. you see, then becomes a free for all. Then there is no purpose because there is no unifying principle that joins us together. Everybody does their own thing, and and we and what what does that create? It creates chaos. It creates chaos. We're seeing that problem right now with regard to race relations in our country. Obviously, I'm sure it's international news about the, the, the race issues that are going on here in our mm. country. And we're seeing those because we don't have anybody that unifies us on this issue. You know, back in, in our country, there was a, a Martin Luther King, who was a very famous civil rights advocate who won the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, Nelson Mandela in South Africa was a, another figure like that. Um, Gandhi in India was another figure like that. So these these were were people who transcended political ideology, who transcended um, uh, uh, liberal and conservative. <laughs> they see they they were able to bring people together because the message was very clear. This is who we are. This is where we're going. And and, and people said, you know what, I get it. You know, this person is speaking the truth. I get it. We can rally behind this person, um, you know, because they're they're leading us someplace. The problem is in our country right now, in the United States, is we don't have, with regard to race, we don't have anybody like that now. 
And so what you have in, in this leadership vacuum, in this leadership void, you have all these other voices of people with political agendas who, who don't really care about race, but have political agendas who are trying to fill that space. And because there is no unifying voice, we, that's why we have all the riots and all the conflict and all mm -hmm. the things that we're, that we're seeing now. I think there's the same thing with, with this gender ideology stuff. Um, you know, with, 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 when you move, the further you move away from reality, um, the more chaos you're going you're, you're gonna to have. And that's what we're seeing right now. You, we have prepubescent children. Think about this for a second. Prepubescent children who have not, that means that they've not hit puberty yet, say, okay, I want, I'm a boy, I want to become a girl. So you start them on hormones, you start them on all this stuff, and all of a sudden puberty kicks in, and they realize, oh, actually, I am a boy. But now you've already started the process of transitioning them, and they, you may have done irreparable damage to that, to that young child's body. Now, mm -hmm. and, and in some cases, if they have surgery, there's no going back. What, what have you done now? You've, you, you've totally, um, well, I would call it abuse. You've abused this person or allowed this person to abuse themselves. And now they realize, oh my goodness, you know, when they get mature and, and, and the body, because the body's still growing, the body's still developing, chemicals are still, you know, connections, brain connections are still being formed. And when we don't allow that to happen, you know, that's, and those are the problems we're seeing. And it, why do they have a, such a high suicide rate? People with these, it's not because people hate you. And so I'm going to kill myself because of all the hatred. That's not it. The, the, the realities, and a study just came out and showed this, that when they hit that, when they realize that, oh my goodness, I made a mistake, and they realize they can't go back, that's why they end their own life. It's not because people are, there's so much hatred in the world. They're, we hate you because mm. you're this or that or the, that's not it at all. So, so we have to point people to the truth and to the reality of, of who we are. Again, we love them. But we we cannot. I mean, I I refuse to live in 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 that world where people are just aren't aren't being real. They just it's just not um, it's just not um, the real world that we live in. Mm. Again, this world is trying to create itself apart from God. You know, mm. we have a godless society right now. So we have to be. I think the the primary thing we have to be witnesses of God's love and God's life to the world. And so our teaching has to be countercultural. That means people are going to hate us. People are going to reject us. So what? So what? What about, you know, this is International Women's Month, right? Let's talk about, well, last month was, it was International Women's Month. Let's talk about some women. Felicity, Perpetua, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia. Those are women who died rather than deny Jesus. Mm. He died. The reality. Let me talk about reality. The reality is, the Romans said you can spare your life if you turn away from God and worship the pagans, worship our gods, or just abandon Jesus. You can live and have your life, have everything that'll make you happy. They said no. We're we're gonna die. Thank you very much. Mm. That's what we need. That's what needs to happen in our culture today. We need to live the reality, you know. And and if you and I not necessarily physical death but die to the ideology and die to the mm. cultural way of thinking and not worry about whether we're going to be accepted or loved by everybody as long as we're accepted and loved by christ that's all that matters in the end yeah that's really cool uh so much so much to talk about on this topic um 
and there's like there's so much depth to it. And I think you know we really are only scratching the surface of this. So I think this could be like a whole conference just on like what is it to be a man, what is it to be a woman, which you know maybe we'll do in the future one day. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time, but I still have heaps of questions. We've got lots of questions in like the chat box, lots of comments and stuff. Lots of people are listening, um, but unfortunately, we're gonna have to cut our time short here. Um, well, maybe we'll do a part two sometime down the road. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'll email you straight after this. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Deacon. Um, any final words to the people listening? Well, I want to the, first of all and uh, thank you and encourage you to continue to listen to Curiously Catholic and to follow the work of Evangelion. I mean, there. You know, um, I get asked to do things all the time. And, you know, my, my, I mean, I'm writing, I'm writing my sixth book right now. I've, I've got a lot of irons in the fire right now. I, I really, I truly do, even though I'm not traveling because of COVID, you know, because people know I'm not traveling, they're asking me to do other things. And so I can't say yes to everything. I just, I just can't, but I will never say no to Evangelion because, <laughs> because I mean, I, I, you know, from, from when Charbel from Parisa first introduced me to you guys, I said, okay these guys are doing something really special here. And, and, I, and I knew from day one, I wanted to be part of it. So I'm actually honored and blessed uh, to, to help contribute um, uh, to, to the evangelizing work that you're doing there. Hopefully, you know, get to New Zealand one day and get to meet you guys in person. Yes, we will make that happen as soon as the borders open. So thank you so much, Deacon, for um, being with us today. Um, honored to be with you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to what we have just had an amazing conversation. There may be a part two in the pipeline. So stay tuned to all things Evangelion and Curiously Catholic. Stay curious, stay Catholic, and see you soon. God bless everybody.